Um, hello. Hello again, sorry. Um, uh, if you have a phone with you, okay, if it's an iPhone, it goes like this. You press that bottom button there, you swipe up like that, and then you hit the little aeroplane thing, okay? It's not a joke, okay? That puts it on flight safe. It means that you can't go on the internet for the next 40 minutes, okay? It means that you can't get text messages. It means that you can't make phone calls, FaceTime, or anything else like that for the next 40 minutes. The only excuse, okay, those of you who use Android and all of that, I'll pray for you, um, but... The only excuse for not doing that is if the only way you have of reading your Bible is on an online version on your phone. I know that people use apps and everything like that, and I'm trying to get all trendy with U version and everything like that on my, on my iPad, but you can download versions of the Bible. So the only reason that anybody in this room, I pray, has their phone on anything other than FlightSafe is, is because you need to access an online version of your Bible this morning, okay? Um, so just a quick reminder, press the bottom button, swipe up, hit the little airplane. We're doing a series in Acts at the moment. Uh, the whole idea of this series, for those of you who haven't been here for a while um, or, or just visiting for the first time, but the whole point of this series is that what we're doing, similarly to what we did in Mark's gospel uh, last year, is that we are working through the book of Acts and we're saying, what does the church look like? It's pretty simple. What does the church look like? What does the church look like when all they have, and I say all in a, in a, in a slightly uh, jokey sort of way, when all that you have is the teaching of Jesus, when all that you have is the Holy Spirit, what does the church look like? When you haven't got 2,000 years of tradition, and tradition does not equal bad, but when you don't have 2,000 years of tradition, and when you don't know that your seat is that seat, and your seat is that seat, and your seat is that seat. And when, when you don't know that it has to be a certain number of songs and finish at a certain time and, and, and that your oven is going to have your dinner ready at a particular moment in the next hour, then, then what does the church look like? What does it look like to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ? Francis Chan puts it like this. He said, if you were on a desert island and all you had was the Bible... And all you had was the Bible to tell you what does following Jesus look like? What should my life as a follower of Jesus look like? Then what would you do? You know, if all you had was the Bible, what would your life look like? And, and it's quite interesting. I think I'm going to use the right word. I was reminded of it. Uh, I was... Uh, I was reminded of the concept this week, and I didn't have time to dig out my old college files, but I'm pretty certain I'm going to look at Bill here, because and if he shakes his head, you'll know that I'm wrong, and I'm just going to gloss over it. But I'm pretty certain that the Greek word for disciple is methetes. Methetes, yes. Nailed it. One Greek word. Okay, I figure that if I do one Greek word a year... For the rest of my life, I'll be able to read about a sentence in Greek, if, or if those 50-odd words actually all happen to be in the same sentence. But methetes, and what methetes means is learner, okay? It means learner, doesn't it, Bill? Yes. 
double score. Okay, it means learner. And, and, and so when we are called to be disciples, it means that we are called to be learners. And we are called to be learners of and learners from Jesus. And so you'll, you'll know that whole thing that, in, in, that, people, that, that disciples used to walk in the footprints almost of the rabbi that they followed because they were called to be learners. They were called to become like that one. And, and the whole journey of discipleship that we are called to is a journey of transformation because when you learn you change okay when you learn you change you are transformed you become different to that which you once were and and I love that 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 uh, phrase um Newton I think it was who said I am not what I ought to be and yet I am not what I once was and what I am I am because of the grace of God you've heard me say it many times the whole point of this series is that we are to learn from Jesus, what it looks like to be followers of Jesus, and what, therefore, the church is to look like. And this week, we have an incredibly exciting passage, and we have Acts chapter 10. And so, if you'd allow me to read it to you, it says this. At Caesarea, and Caesarea was a port in the north of, uh, north of Israel. It was, a, it was an important place to be, okay, Caesarea. Uh, so, you got a job. Like, there were places in Israel that if you were a Roman soldier, you got sent to because you'd basically done something wrong. Okay, um, and uh, so like it's like, oh no, I'm being sent to whatever plata Israel it is. You know, it's on the outskirts of the empire. Caesarea wasn't one of those places. Caesarea was a bustling, important place, an important place for the for the, for the Roman Empire because it was through Caesarea that that kind of like grain and stuff would come from Egypt, and without that coming through there, then Rome was going to starve in the winter. So, if you are a Roman centurion in Caesarea, you are doing something right. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers. And, and already, just straight away, do you notice the difference there between Paul and Cornelius? Cornelius isn't a follower of Jesus. He's a God-fearer. It means that he, might, he, he kind of respects the God of Israel, the God of uh, the Jews who he is seeing around him. But he isn't a convert to Judaism necessarily, probably not. And he isn't a Christian. And yet, unlike Paul, who on the road to Damascus says, who are you? Cornelius says, what is it, Lord? Already you can see that Cornelius has his spiritual antennae up. Um, What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Uh, 
About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. I was thinking hangry here is basically how Peter was. Um, If none of you know what hangry is, talk to my wife afterwards. Um, He became hungry and wanted something to eat. She's hangry all the time. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up! He said, I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets, all the prophets, isn't that amazing? Read the Old Testament. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Oh, what a passage. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. I have to, like, I don't know if I'm bottling it or if I'm not bottling it, um, but one of, I, there's two options this morning. And I'm standing here and I'm still not 100% sure which one it is. But Karen might think that I'm bottling it because I'm actually going to go with the original option, which is actually to unpack a little bit of this passage. What I was actually going to do is, well, could I just have a show of hands actually? Who believes that God wants to speak to them? And please put your hand up if if you believe that. Fantastic. Who struggles? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up if, if your hand was up. Who struggles to make time to to just allow God to speak to them during the course of an average week? Fantastic. You can put your hands down now. What I was going to do, because like as I was reading this passage and, and preparing and trying to study for it this week, I was like, God, isn't it amazing? Like last week we had Saul spoken to and then we had Ananias spoken to and, 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 and this week we've got Cornelius spoken to and then Peter spoken to. And, and I was thinking, isn't it amazing how God speaks to people when they listen to him? Basically, when, when we listen, God speaks to us. And then I thought, but most people are probably, uh, well, I know, because people are always saying to me when I, when I ask these sorts of questions, that life is busy, that they don't really have time. And so what I was going to say, I hoped that that was the answer that we were going to have. And then I was going to say, well, okay, we're just going to spend 30 minutes or 40 minutes just, just sitting in silence and, and waiting on the Lord and see what he says. Um, because, and I'm not going to do it, but I want to very quickly explain. It's actually because there's some incredible stuff that I want to pull out of that. But it is not because I think that we can't do that in this sort of gathering. We should do that. We should do that. This gathering is, you know, to be a learner, to be one who walks like Jesus does mean just sometimes that, you know, sitting there and making that space to say, Father, Abba, Daddy, what is it that you want to say to me? Holy Spirit, teach me. But anyway, I'm not going to do it. But I would, I would beg you. I would beg you. Shall we do it anyway? I would beg you to, to make that time. Okay, make that time. You know, when we were praying, our leaders always pray on, a, on the first Sunday of the month before our morning gathering. And when we were praying this morning, I felt like God just reminded me of something or, or, or spoke something to me. Um, and Debbie had started, and we were praying for the youth and everything. And we were praying for, for um, because uh, Debbie became a granny again this week. So that's amazing. And Leslie Wilson became a granny again overnight. So that was amazing. And we were praying. And 
and we were praying for, for, for children of people, many of you perhaps in this church, where your children have been walking with the Lord. Uh, they might even have made some sort of kind of, yeah, I'm going to try and follow Jesus sort of statement that lots of people do make at various times in their lives, and, but they no longer are. And we, were, and we were praying for those young people. And then I felt like God just reminded me, me of something. No, not reminded me, but said something, said something to me, and it was this, that, that to try and point our children, our, okay, not mine and hers, our children to Jesus is the most important thing that we can do. Nothing else is more important. Nothing else is more important. And some of you have probably got young people and you've pretty much nailed them to the, to the study chair over the next couple of months. Like, like, you know, Francis and Dale have probably got like nails through Joe's feet and like, and they're hiding his guitar and saying, Joe, no more guitar until you've done your study. Okay. No more of anything. And I'm sure that many of you are like that. And I'm sure that, you know, if your kid gets good at something or, or when you get good at something, you're like, oh, but I just have to put some more time into it. You know, like Yvonne, she's like a Scrabble guru. I think she's like 10th in the country, but 10th, I mean, there's nine people better than her. And so she could, she could just invest all of her time time into saying, I am going to, I'm going to, whatever you do to people in Scrabble, and, and just invest herself, and invest herself in that, or, or, or other people, you know, I'm thinking Adrian, you know, he's like an up and, I mean, he's not even up and coming, he's like this legendary uh, 10k runner, and he's like, well, what have I got time to do today? I've only got time to do one thing, what am I going to do? Am I going to spend 40 minutes running a 10k, and that would be a slow 10k for Adrian, or am I going to spend 40 minutes with the Lord? And I don't mean to pick on these guys, although clearly I am at this moment in time. But what's it going to be? Who's it going to be? How are we going to lead our young people, our children, the children who I've said many times we all parent? There is nothing, nothing in this life more important than pursuing God. I feel like it's like picture after picture, but you know, I, you, for those of you who have ever chased after a, after a member of the opposite sex, you don't just chase after them for 30 seconds and hope that that seals the deal, do you? No, you don't, you know, and that's some advice for some of you, okay? You have to keep on going after them. You have to keep on wooing them and giving them flowers and chocolates and whatever it, it, whatever it happens to be. But it is not just a 30-second process. It's not just a short process. In fact, it is a lifelong process. This is a tip for some of you men out there. It is a lifelong process of chasing after the one who has become your wife, of loving her, of giving yourself to her. And, and, and the thing is this. So often, so often, the way that we treat Jesus is the absolute opposite of how we treat everything else. The way that we, we kind of say, oh, Jesus, I've got a really busy day today, so I'm going to give you a minute. Okay, all my kids have to really focus in on their study, so I'm not actually gonna, I'm not actually gonna try and point them towards you. And I know that pointing kids towards Jesus isn't easy and there's no guarantees, and you certainly can't make them. I know that and believe that. But, the point is this. Will you make that time, okay? As your pastor and as your friend, I am trusting you, okay? I'm trusting you. That rather than me saying, we're going to spend half an hour now just sitting in silence and saying, God, what do you want to say to me? 
that actually you're going to go away and you're going to say, I'm desperate for more of Jesus. And that's why we're going to just quickly unpack a few things in this passage. You see, what's been going on in Acts so far is we have seen a transition. With the stoning of Stephen, we see Stephen basically saying, the temple no longer is at the center. The temple is no longer the place uh, that it has been for Israel. Uh, And remember, we saw this at the end of Mark's gospel. I'm not going to go over that again. But the temple is no longer uh, the heart of of worship. The temple is no longer the place uh, that that it has been given in Israel. And in, in fact, in a few years' time, the temple is going to be destroyed. And then we've seen, uh, we've seen the scattering of the disciples. We've seen the scattering of the followers of Jesus. And they've gone into Samaria. That, that is kind of like the you know, Samaritans and that sort of thing. And in and, and John's, John's Gospel, chapter 4 this morning, I was just reading Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. But, but Samaritans and Jews didn't rub up together. You know that. And, 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 and yet what we've seen is we started to see the shift away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, away from the temple, into Samaria, and then we have the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and remember that Ethiopia at this point was somewhere, I think it's just below Egypt, it's not over in East Africa, um, but Ethiopia was seen and known in those days as being the ends of the earth, the place that was called Ethiopia. So what we're seeing is Jesus' commission to Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth is starting to be fulfilled. And then in last week's chapter, in chapter 9, we saw the Apostle Paul being called he is going to be the apostle to the Gentiles to the Gentiles and then what we see happening this morning is is we see the continuation of this we see the reinforcement of this because remember Peter is essentially the leader of the early church Peter is the leader of the early church and and what and the picture I want you to have in mind might be this if you've ever seen a parent um, helping uh, and I've stolen this example by the way so please if you think it's clever don't attribute it to me but um if, you, if you've ever seen a parent helping a child learn how to cross the road, so, I might, so if I'm helping Colette to learn how to cross the road, I'll be saying, now Colette, you just wait there. Wait there, Colette. Wait there. And then when the cars have stopped coming, I say, okay, Colette, cross over. Has Colette been disobedient to me if she crosses over? Let's try that again. Has Colette been disobedient to me if she crosses over? No, she hasn't. But some might say, oh, but you, don't, you told her to wait there. You told her to wait there, and then she's crossed over. But the point is this, that some things go before, and yet then something else happens, and it's fine. So she was absolutely right to wait when I told her to wait, and then to come when I told her to come. And that is what is happening here. The people of Israel have been asked, have been, have been asked by God to live... Um, a distinct life apart from the people who surround them. So God gives them all of these laws in the Old Testament. And if you want a better understanding of this, speak to Sister Hazel and uh, she'll keep me, she'll keep you right. She'll keep me right. But, but God has set the people of Israel apart. He gives them all of these laws. Some of them are food laws. Some of them are purity laws. But essentially, um, and I'm going to paint with broad brush strokes because of time. He gives them laws in order that they will look different to the people around about them. It is to preserve an identity um, that is that is unique to Israel, but also, uh, no, sorry, that is unique to Israel. But if we go back even further in Scripture, we'll know that Israel was not intended just to be a blessing for Israel. 
Because if we go back to the call of Abraham, we'll remember that actually um, God's call to Abraham includes the, includes the promise, um, and I slightly paraphrase, but that through you, all nations will be blessed. Okay, so God starts off by saying, in the end, Abraham, all nations are going to be blessed through you. And, and, and then we have Israel and they are set apart. They are a holy people. Things go wrong for Israel when Israel don't follow that and they kind of get into bed literally and metaphorically with the nations around about them. Um, and things go well for them when they keep their, uh, when they live out their calling to be this holy people. And we get to this point in Acts And essentially, Peter has been brought up as an Israelite to keep some form of separation, okay? To keep a holy separation from the people around about them. And probably the people, if you were, if you were a, 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 a Jew trying to honor God in, in first century uh, Israel, probably, maybe after the Samaritans, I'm not quite sure, uh, but probably after the Samaritans, the person who you would most want to kind of keep your distance from would be the Romans. They are the pagans. They are the ones who worship the emperor. They are, they are the ones who are, who, who, are, uh, who are oppressing God's people. They are the ones who Israel thought they were going to be literally delivered from when Messiah came. And yet here we have Peter taking time out. Okay, and this is an aside, but Peter took time out in the middle of the day. 12 noon, it says that Peter went up to pray. That wasn't one of the Jewish times of prayer. Okay, that's not. That wasn't one of the Jewish times of prayer. That was just Peter saying, do you know what? The house is busy. It's the middle of the day. I'm going to go up to a quiet place on the roof. If you've ever been in those Mediterranean sort of port towns, it's like the place with the awning over the top and it's just just beautiful. And he says, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to pray. And as he's up there, God gives him this vision that is arguably... Uh, I mean, it, it is to do with food as well, I think. But arguably, it isn't even, and especially in the context of this passage, it's not to do with food. It's to do with people. And it's not to do with any people. It's to do with this Roman centurion, this representative of the enemy who God is going to call Peter to go and see. And at the beginning of this vision, and have you ever had this where God says something to you and you're like, no chance. I had that when God told me I was home in Scotland. I was like, are you kidding? Okay. But I could take you to the spot. But I was like, no, Lord. (laughs) You didn't get that one right. I've got that one right. (laughs) Okay. But, But God says something to Peter. And Peter says, no, Lord, initially. And then essentially he says, well, do you know what? I'm going to go with this. 
And I love what it says in verse 19. It says this, and this is so important for you as you go away and spend this time thinking about what God is saying to you and asking God to speak to you. It says, it says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision. And so the point is this, Peter didn't, you know, I, I don't actually think Peter got too much wrong with saying no, Lord, because he's thinking, well, actually, you know, does that fit with my understanding of who God is? And, and, and we have to ask that question. It says uh, elsewhere, and I've forgotten the exact reference, but it says in talking about prophecy. Test everything. Hold on to what is good and flee from evil as every kind. I don't think Peter was doing too much wrong here. He was examining and he was saying, is this really God who's speaking to me? And then the Spirit speaks to him again and says, yeah, it really is me. And, the, and by the way, there's three guys downstairs and so go down to them and Peter goes down to them and this is the first of this breaking down of barriers. Peter says, in you come guys. These Gentile Roman representatives, at least one of them a soldier himself, and Peter says, come in. And I mean, it's not Peter's house, so what does he care if he makes it ceremonially unclean? But, but we know that the point is this. It's not going to be. Because what Jesus has shown, or what God or the Spirit has shown uh, Peter in this vision, is that I am taking us into a new time. And the time that I am taking us into is the time that I promised to Abraham however many thousand or hundreds of years ago. And, and the time is this, when all people are going to be blessed through me. We were reminded when we prayed this morning before, our, uh, before set up and everything really got going. Because, you know... What this is doing it is breaking down prejudices. It is breaking down barriers. It is saying that under heaven, there is only one name given, and that name is given to all freely. We were reminded this morning as we prayed that this week is the 25th anniversary of the genocide in Rwanda. I think 800,000 people murdered. And murdered by people of faith? And murdered because however much we might like to think it doesn't exist. Read the front pages, read the back pages. Prejudice and hatred and bitterness and division and fear of other exists in our world today. And exists in our town today. And I would dare to say exists in our church today. Because I was wondering what we might substitute the centurion for. Donald, the Lord is calling you to go round to Neil Lennon's. <laughs> it could be a football thing. It could be Sorry, Donald. I mean, sorry, I should. I mean, maybe he is. Can you imagine that? Ten minutes. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, imagine, can you imagine, you know, we have this, we have this football rivalry in the west coast of Scotland. We have this Protestant Catholic. We have even this uh, white and person of, uh, of, of Asian or African descent. We have people coming into... I was so delighted the other day to hear that Leah is working with asylum seekers here in air. Air is going to start to change and air is going to be benefited from having people from different places and different parts of the world come into it more and more because I look around and there is not one non-white face in here. I don't 
don't think. But, you know, and, and, and so that isn't our fault necessarily if that's what air is, if, if this is how air is at this time. But, but, you know, if we were a church in the center of Glasgow or in the center of London or in Edinburgh or something like that, it would be a fault and it would reveal some form of prejudice, I would suggest. And what this passage teaches us and what this passage reminds us, and we haven't even got to what they talked about, but that doesn't matter. But what this passage reminds us is this. Yes, it is so important to listen to God. Okay, that's a given. And I know that you're going to have amazing times with him this week and every week as you seek and as you craft and as you make and as you discipline time into your life. But what this passage, I believe the heart of what this of where this passage is going in the grand sweep of the book of Acts is this, a further reminder through the leader of the church at this time that God breaks down barriers. In fact, he doesn't just break them down. He fully bulldozes his way through barriers in order that all people will come into a life-changing, saving relationship with Jesus. Amen? And if that was true then, and if all scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, training, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. I know I've probably missed a bit there. In order that the people of God may be built up, stirred up, sent out as learners of Jesus. Then how true is it of us today? Peter invites them into his house and then he takes the 40 or so mile journey. It's probably, I guess, two days walking um, and Cornelius has them ready. And Peter, the Jewish leader of the early church, steps in to the home of the Roman centurion. The Holy Spirit falls as he speaks and salvation comes to a whole bunch of folk and they're baptized it's incredible it happens because of Peter's willingness to not just walk in the way that he's always understood God to work but to say God if that is you Lord is that really you no, you wouldn't be saying that to me. Oh, it is actually you saying that to me. Okay, well then, God, I am going to do it. And you are going to glorify yourself through that. And I feel that that is such a challenge to us. I feel it is such a challenge to me. The big thing that God is challenging me, well, I mean, I can't even start to get into it, but God is challenging me so much at the moment as I ask these questions. I think the most one of the most frequently prayed prayers I have at the moment is just that God would show me where I am wrong. Like all the time I'm just saying it, God, show me where I'm wrong. Show me where I've got it wrong. Show me where, where my eyes haven't been opened enough. Show me, show me where I've misunderstood something. Show me where I've put that 2,000 years of tradition onto something. And remember, again, I say tradition, not all bad at all. But show me where I've done that. And as I've done that, I've actually missed the heart of the gospel. And I pray, and I pray in love, but also provocatively for each and every one of us that we will be people who will seek 
God who will make time for him and who will allow him to speak to us. We'll weigh it up, we'll measure it. And then when we know it is him, we'll run after it. This is an amazing passage. I just want to finish uh, by, and if the band want to come up as we do this. But this is Jesus, John chapter four. And again, this is just what happens when you spend time with God. And I'm not putting myself up there because so often, like so often I'm tempted not to. But when you read the Bible, when you spend time waiting on the Lord, it's amazing how often he speaks. Okay? But not when you just try and, not never, but When you try and grab 30 seconds here or there, it's going to be a little bit harder, I would suggest. But this morning I was reading this, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. And she says to him, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And then Jesus says to her, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming. And then Jesus says this. And has now come. When the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. I want to be that kind of worshipper. I pray, I love you. I want you all to be that kind of worshiper. Let's stand and let's worship.